Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of No More Silos. My name is Erica Santiago and you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Cultural Christianity, where we're having an ongoing conversation about how culture intersects with our beliefs and also intersects with our worldview and in... But today I was thinking about uh, how I listen to other podcasts and how I often don't go back and listen to older episodes. And so while I encourage you and would love for you to listen to season one, I realize that there may be some things that I cover in season one that I don't cover or haven't covered yet in season two that might be helpful to you. And one of those things is how to study the Bible. Now, I did a whole teaching on this for our church and posted the video in our Bible study Facebook group. But two things that I want to make sure, because it's something that comes up a lot here on No More Silos, where we're breaking down the barriers to, in this season, what is holding us back from effective discipleship, making disciples according to the Great Commission, um, and understanding how the early church did all those things. And so the two things I want to talk about today, uh, relatively briefly, is hermeneutics, biblical interpretation, and covenants. I love the way that Andy Stanley puts it in his book, Irresistible. He says, take your cue from the covenant God made with you. Take your cue from the covenant God made with you. And I think that affects how we study our Bible because obviously the, most Bibles, all Bibles pretty much, are printed with the Old Testament first, uh, starting with in the beginning, and then the New Testament shows up about two-thirds of the way through. And as Christians, we follow the resurrected Jesus. But how does that Uh, How do we understand that if as a new Christian or you're discipling someone and the book you hand them starts with in the beginning? And maybe, you know, the first couple of chapters make sense to make sure that we, you know, know why Jesus had to come back and reconcile us to God. It's to reconcile us to what? What are we missing out on um, by not being reconciled to God? But the rest of what's going on in the Old Testament is really pointing to Jesus, and really it's also a lot of what not to do. And so, um, and, and that we correct course in the New Testament. And so, if you are discipling someone, I would have them start out with reading the uh, reading John's gospel, um, because that's the most spiritually focused of the gospels. Jesus is the Word of God coming uh, incarnate and uh, living here on earth. But then I would also uh, read James uh, and because that's our proverbs for the uh, for the New Testament. It's a wisdom book. And then uh, I would have them read uh, depending upon where they're you know where, where they're coming from, start with Ephesians and then go back and read the other gospels and see what did Jesus do and how and then looking at Ephesians as a way to understand uh, a reworking of the Ten Commandments um, according to Paul. So that's kind of a basic how to study the Bible if you're discipling somebody, um, as we've been talking about discipleship in this season. But today I want to talk about interpretation and covenants, a couple of key things. Um, when it comes to interpretation, two terms that uh, I will encourage you, and I'll put a link in the show notes, eisegesis and exegesis. And I think I've talked about them before uh, in this season, but I want to make sure that we define them. Um, eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis is reading into the text, reading into scripture, your worldview, using your worldview, using your cultural filter versus starting with the author's intent and asking a few questions about what that intent was. So a definition for biblical exegesis is that it is a systematic process 
by which a person arrives at a reasonable and coherent sense of the meaning and message of a biblical passage. Ideally, an understanding of the original text, Greek and Hebrew, uh, would be required. And so because we all don't read and don't teach it in schools, Greek, uh, Koine Greek, or, or Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, the uh, process of exegesis becomes a little bit of a challenge for some of us because we're not reading, we're reading the Bible in English. Uh, we're reading the Bible in our language. So we automatically take our understanding of certain words or phrases and filter that through our worldview as American Christians. And it really doesn't matter if you're black or you're white. It's, it's a matter of just looking at it through our own personal filter. In the process of exegesis, a passage must be viewed in its historical and grammatical context with its time and purpose of writing taken into account. So what do we mean by that? When we talk about history, what was going on in the first century? Uh, Rome ruled the roost, so to speak. Uh, the Roman Empire was occupying what we, uh, what we n- uh, now call Israel and Palestine. Uh, they were occupying a lot of other areas too. And so the Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture really influenced things. If you ever saw the movie with Brad Pitt um, about Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great during uh, the hundreds of years before Rome conquered much of the Mediterranean region and all the way even through Persian, India, and, and when he and North Africa. And when he did that, he left his culture behind. And so we have to look at how all of that infuses not only the way the New Testament reads, but also the Old Testament, understanding the ancient culture. So the history matters. The grammatical context matters because when, if you know another language besides English, in English, in grammar, we understand subject, verb, object as our sentence order. Uh, SVO, you may remember from grade school or high school. And in other languages, oftentimes the order of words is different or it could be interchangeable. It might be object first, might be subject first. Uh, Words may have a gender associated with it, male or female, or it may have no gender associated with it, but our translator may have decided to throw a gender in there for kicks um, or for better understanding in English. And so all of that matters, the grammatical context and historical context. So what are the questions that we should be asking uh, when we think, when we are interpreting scripture, when we're reading scripture. One is, who wrote the text? Uh, who is the intended readership? What is, who is the author? Is the author Paul or is the author Matthew? Um, what is the context of the text, i.e., how does it fit in the author's larger thought process, purpose, or argument in the chapter and the book in which it resides? You see all these chapter markers and chapter headings we find in our modern English Bibles, the verses, the uh, the verse numbers, all of that was added later. So when people originally read the Greek or read the Hebrew text in the first few centuries of, of Christianity, they read it totally differently than the way that we read it now. Um, Hebrew reads left to right, for example. It's a, both languages are lang- languages using different symbols that we might not understand today. And so that matters. Um, so what is the context of the text? Being able to read the whole chapter and the whole book. The letter to Rome, it's 16 chapters for us, but it was one, just one letter for everybody who, who read it initially. Um, is the choice of words, wording, or word order significant in this particular passage? And why was the text written? Was it written to correct? Uh, was it written to encourage? Or was it written to explain? 
So those are all things when it comes to uh, biblical interpretation that we want to keep in mind when we're talking through or thinking through no more silos, uh, tearing down the cultural Christianity uh, worldview that infuses our modern understanding of scripture, that we've got to go bigger um, and sometimes go deeper and ask the questions. And the last question that I have for you is when was the text written? That matters too, because if you're trying to track history, you need to know was it before AD 70 that it was written or was it written after AD 70? That all matters. Look up AD 70, what happened in the world that year. Okay, so second part of this is covenants. The Bible is a book organized around two covenants, one between God and ancient Israel and one between God and you. That's right out of Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible. Between him and the Bible Project, I think they do a great job of explaining very simply biblical covenants. It's like a contract, if you will. Um, And that's how you really want to think about it. And there's actually several covenants in the Old Testament. But when we when the Bible was put together, when it was canonized, it was split into two. It was the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And that's how the language that's used in the Bible itself. So it's organized around these two covenants broadly, one between God and ancient Israel and one between God and us. And so we want to focus as Christians on the one that applies to us. The covenant between God and Israel is obsolete. Um, And we want to read it for historical context and inspiration, but as uh, Andy Stanley points out in his book, we don't want to try any of that stuff at home. Uh, If we see a giant taking a slingshot to him, may not work for us the same way it worked for David. So, But we get lost sometimes because of the Old Testament being presented in the book, in the Bible, before the New Testament. And so we get mired down in the details when we do the the Bible in a Year reading plans and the minutia of of Leviticus before we realize that the gospel, (laughs) realize in the gospels that Jesus sets us free from all that. Um, We get caught up in the details of how Israel was unable to keep up their end of the covenant in books, in the books of the prophets. But we... And we think that we're destined to the same, but that's not really true. As Andy says, take your cue from the covenant God made with you. So when we think of covenants, in in Jesus' death and resurrection, we see that the true covenant faithfulness looks like self-giving love. In fact, the last episode, I talked about love being the measure of spiritual maturity. When we receive trust and imitate the love, uh, when we receive trust and imitate the love of Jesus, we begin to live as the humans God created us to be. We can once again glimpse the beauty of God uh, that he had in mind when he first created and partnered with humanity. And I think that's really key. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 through 21, um, it says, From now on, therefore, with regard to no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of re- reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciled reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making 
his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness. But the key thing I want you to hear is that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation, a new creature. We are new in Christ. It's a new covenant. And so the way the Bible Project explains, goes on to explain it is, God's covenants in the Bible are an incredible explanation for our partnership with him because that's what he did. He created, he said, you know what, we're going to create man, create humans in our image. And and God does that. And when he does it, um, he selects in this first covenant, a small group of people to make this partnership with. And he promises, uh, makes promises to these people and asks them to fulfill certain commitments. So technically, in the Old Testament, there's actually four covenants. There's one with Noah, one with Abraham, one with the Israelites, and one with King David. And all of these covenants serve the purpose of creating a new partnership into which God can eventually invite all humankind. Unfortunately, Israel breaks their covenant. Um, They actually managed to break just about all of them. Um, So the covenant that we are following uh, through Christ, because Christ comes and he fulfills God's covenant with not only the children of Israel, but he uh, he restores that. But he's inviting us to follow him and join him in a new partnership with God. And that's what we see in the New Testament. And so we want to keep that in mind. I'll put in the show notes the link to the Bible Project's whole teaching on covenants, because I think that that's really, really useful. Um, Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And that's a key word there. Um, This was his way of saying that God's conditional temporary covenant with Israel was coming to an end. The intended from the beginning end, um, as Andy Stanley puts it, an irresistible. Jesus was the rescuer that is identified in Genesis after the fall. And on the cross, Jesus says, it's finished. And he left no room for a blended covenant model. And that's what we see played out in Galatians and in Acts chapter 10 when the apostles and other ethnically Jewish Christians were insisting that Gentile believers get circumcised. See, what we fail to understand sometimes in our modern context is that we look at what's in the Old Testament and we see that as God's law and we think it all of it applies to us and it really doesn't. Um, We are uh, actually connected to Abraham, the promise of Abraham. And that's what we see in the New Testament. But oftentimes, because we read the Old Testament first, we don't know which one of these uh, covenants really applies to us, and we get all caught up in it. And then we're like, well, what did Jesus fulfill, and what's done, and how does this work out? That's one of the things that I love about the way the New Testament letters read about Christian living. We see in the book of Hebrews, we see in the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus fulfills Judaism. He is the replacement for paganism. Both of these perspectives are a departure from both of those traditions. And so that's what we see with the new covenant. It's not just that we're departing from ancient Israel's covenant with God, but we're also departing from paganism, which is the Roman pantheon of gods, the Greek pantheon of gods, and everybody else's whatever it is that they uh, came up with as a people group to explain the universe around them, to explain the world around them, to explain creation, to explain who God is, even even if they didn't call him God. So both of these perspectives 
um, are there in Hebrews in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you have heard it said, this is the way that he teaches. He teaches by way of deconstruction of our inherited beliefs, which is part of discipleship. And so that's why it's so important to be careful with our biblical interpretation and understand that we are taking our cue from the covenant that God made with us. We are Gentile Christians. Unless you were born ethnically Jewish, you were a Gentile Christian. So we are walking away from paganism. We're not walking away from Judaism. So it's a deconstruction of inherited beliefs, which is part of discipleship. And in first century Judaism that Jesus encountered was made up of nine or more different groups. Like today we'd call them denominations. Like you got the Presbyterians, you got the Baptists, you got the Episcopalians. They were historical, political, economic, and cultural identities and traditions that were attached to each one of those groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and so on. Jesus spent three years discipling his team that included both men and women to deconstruct, again, see how he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, uh, to deconstruct what they grew up learning. And so Paul's letters, or uh, what we uh, Paul's letters in and in Acts, we see this strategy for discipleship, and the theology of the early church is built around deconstructing paganism, deconstructing uh, the previous beliefs, the traditions of both Judaism and paganism that we see in the ancient world. That's the strategy that we see in Acts and in Paul's letters. Um, and that's the strategy we see in the early church. And then by the second century, discipleship training include creeds like the Nicene or the Apostles' Creeds. Know what you believe and why um, is the way is is the focus of the creeds. Uh, and that's also the tagline for the Jude Three Project. Uh, so the Bible did not create Christianity. Christians had these creeds before we had the Bible, and it was their witness, the eyewitnesses, uh, eyewitness accounts of people who heard and followed Jesus and saw him executed and then saw him a few days later walking around eating and teaching, etc., that caused them to follow, to follow Christianity. So the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 says to make disciples. This is Jesus talking. He says, make disciples, teaching them my commandments, baptizing them. Jesus didn't say, do what Moses said. And he didn't say anything about following the cultural traditions from the old covenant. He raised the bar and he asks this question of us. Love like I loved you. So what does love require of me? And that's what we see in uh, in our last episode when I talk through or I read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How does the early church interpret living out the commands of Jesus? We see that in Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians or to Ephesians. Love God, love one another, um, love the others in your community. That's the whole parable that Jesus teaches on the Good Samaritan. Um, Still showing love. We don't believe the same, but I'm still going to love you. Radical worldview shift. Total big change here. Um, And so this is where we end up with cultural Christianity because we have folks who want to apply the Old Testament or build a monument to the Old Testament at a courthouse when we really should be looking at the Old Testament as descriptive and not prescriptive. The New Testament quotes quite a bit from the Old Testament. And, And really that 
tells me what was important to the New Testament writers to think that they felt like they needed to carry that over. Um, they quote scripture for a number of different reasons. They quote it to uh, share um describe something that happened, um, to make a connection, to uh, say, well, you know, this was prophesied, because that matters too, uh, the prophecies about Jesus. Um, So what did the New Testament writers think was important to carry over? What they carried over? Character and faith. Prophecy too, but character and faith. We see this in the, in the book of Hebrews. It's a letter written to Gentile Christians who would not have had the cultural traditions of Judaism and thus would have been unfamiliar with the ethnically Jewish folks' inherited belief system. But remember, this Christianity is a departure from paganism, too, so they have to deconstruct their cultural traditions. And that includes Aristotle and Plato and the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods. And so a lot of the things that, that float into our understanding of Christianity in a Western context is based not on the Bible, but actually based on Greco-Roman culture. Um, so what does love require of me? In the New Testament, the know what I believe and why is answered with, that's what love requires of me because that's what's best for them. The why centers on your neighbor, doing right by your neighbor, and new covenant obedience to Jesus's commands is always connected with a who. Uh, Remember in previous episodes, I talk about how the cross is symbolic, not for the reasons that many of us think, um, because Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected. The cross is symbolic because it represents that vertical up and down relationship that we are reconciled through Christ to God. But the horizontal part is how we are reconciled to one another. And I talk about that in our last episode when I talk about relationships, so I won't get into that here. But when we think about how we are connecting the dots, when we're thinking about no more silos, taking our cue from the covenant that God made with you and understanding the difference between eisegesis and exegesis, asking the questions about the text to make sure that we see the whole picture and not just the part of it that someone wanted us to see. Because if we go back and we reread Paul's letters and uh, Jude's letter, what we see is that there are people who wormed their way even then into churches with false theologies and false teachings that sounded good, but it wasn't the truth. It wasn't the truth of the gospel. And so that's the thing that we want to really focus on as we go forward and we think about how we're discipling and sharing with others um, about Jesus. So thanks for listening to this little bonus episode um, on how to study your Bible. Um, If you have questions, hit me up on Facebook at Cultural Christianity or Instagram at Cultural Christianity. Of course, you can always send an email to podcast at ericasantiago.com. And so thanks for listening to No More Silos, and I look forward to catching up with you in our next episode.